0: book viewers i'm very happy to be with you today and to introduce you to an author whose book actually launches on june 1st perfect timing Um, so uh, without any further delay welcome to tia williams who's coming to us from brooklyn new york today hi (laughs) tia it's wonderful to see you and um, when i received your book from the publicist and Viewers, you can see the book cover in the background. It's a very, very compelling book cover. I decided to go back into your back catalog and read all your books. And since there were two, no, two more novels and two YA books, I hit up the novels and I really enjoyed them. Um, I think- Thank you, I'm glad you loved them. I, I think in this time of great stress for everybody and especially for black people, to encounter three books that are really all about black joy with a little black angst mixed in was um, it, it was a really a relief to read about people who are um, successful, happy, or on their way to happiness, and um, just like living best lives. So. Um, Your background is in the fashion industry. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yes.
1: Um, So I was a beauty editor at fashion magazines for many, many years. Um, I moved to New York from Fairfax, Virginia in 1997, right after I graduated college. And I began working at YM. I don't know if you remember YM magazine, Young Miss. It was a teen magazine, R.I.P., um, and I went from YM to L, to Glamour, then Lucky Magazine, um, and Essence, and Teen People. Uh, so yeah, for a long time I was a beauty editor, and your job as a beauty editor is to sort of report on makeup, hair, and skincare trends. So I- I've always been obsessed with makeup and glamour, and you know, fashion shows and models and designers. So it was a really exciting world for me to be in.
0: And um, the, now, the era of fashion magazines, I'm sad to say, is, seems to be coming to an end. Um, I think you probably got the best years out of it that you could have. And uh, your first two novels deal with people who are very involved with beauty, with magazines. And then in your next one, your third one that we're talking primarily about today, it's a shift to two authors, Um, and did you kind of make that shift in your writing along with your shift in real life?
1: Well, actually what's funny is, so I always knew, like growing up, I always knew I wanted to work at fashion magazines, but I also wanted to be a novelist. And so I've been writing fiction since I was seven years old. So when I moved to New York, those were the two dreams, and I've always done both. So I wrote The Accidental Diva, my first novel, when I was 25. So I've always been both, you know, I've had one foot in the fashion world and the other foot in fiction writing. Um, And because with my first two adult novels, I dealt with the fashion world. I was like, okay, it's time for me to write about the other half of my life, which is, you know, being an author. Um, And yes, as you said, I was working in that industry during its heyday and sadly it has, you know, it, it is definitely on a downturn. Um, and I, I felt that when I was working for magazines. And so I made the switch to working um, at brands, writing for brands. So now I'm the editor- I'm an editorial director at Estee Lauder Companies um, and during the day. And then at night I write love stories.
0: <laughs> so that's always, so you've always had full-time work while you've been writing has it been hard and i know you have a daughter is it and a family is it how hard is it for you to carve out that time to write
1: it's so hard it's really (laughs) hard i can't pretend that it isn't i mean i you know when do you find the time um you know you you need a community luckily my ex-husband my daughter's dad i can see his house from my window um, so we co-parent, and, and that's really great. Um, my husband is a great stepdad. Um, and I have insomnia. So <laughs> those three things put together, you know, I, I find the time to write in the middle of the night, actually, which is not healthy, but is, it's the way I get it done.
0: Well, I was, if it's not healthy, it certainly doesn't appear uh, on your face because you, of course, look radiant. So uh, it's it's my moisturizer. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I guess since we're kind of not profit TV, you're not allowed to push it. But you did mention Estee Lauder, so okay.
1: Oh, was I not supposed to say Estee Lauder?
0: No, no, that's fine. That's fine. Um, I'll I'll check in with you after the show on your the specific brand so I can start using it. So um, so Tia, in uh, Accidental Diva, which is your first novel, um, and in Perfect Find, which is your second as we said, both of your lead characters were in the fashion industry, and they had these kind of meat cute uh, relationships with the men that they were involved with, and there were no children involved initially in either of their lives. And then there's a big switch in Seven Days in June because the characters themselves have back history and a really kind of fascinating back history and the main character, Eva, has a child, Audrey, who's a teenager. And I could see how combining your, your um, novel writing skills and romance skills with kind of the best YA character, Audrey is hilarious. <laughs> she is so full and great. Um, so did you feel kind of that shift too when, um, when you started working on Seven Days in June?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was my personal shift. So when I wrote the accidental diva, like I said, I was 25, and um, de- very childless. <laughs> and, you know, I was a I, I was very young, running around the city. You know, new to New York, having the time of my life. And fast forward 20 years, and I have a 12-year-old, and I'm a single mom like Eva. And my daughter, I was, I've been married for four months now.
0: Oh, congratulations. (laughs) Uh,
1: Thank you. But when I started writing The Perfect Find, I was definitely a single mom. And um, my daughter, you know, had been raised around her mom and a bunch of 40-year-old women. And so she talks like that. Like, she's very... um, mature and insightful in the way she sees the world. She doesn't have like a side hustle therapy business like Audrey <laughs> does, but very often she is like the, the Greek chorus, like in a room full of adults and sometimes smarter than we are. So I wanted to give that role to Audrey. You know, she's almost a stand in for the reader. Like what are the adults in here doing? Like they're being ridiculous. Wake up.
0: So do you um does she sneak down the stairs to come to parties and stuff like that like how do you do you try to leave her room to stay in her kind of YA world or like cuz she must feel like like Audrey does in the book like she straddles both worlds probably
1: Yeah you know she does and when she was when she was younger, I brought her places. Like, I, she definitely would sneak downstairs to the party um, just because childcare was weird. And, you know, I just, she was my plus one. She was, you know, my little buddy. Now that she's getting older, um, she just thinks, as most tweens and teens do about their mothers, that they are just total dorks. And, uh, <laughs> you know, just like, she doesn't really want to hang out with me anymore. But um, yeah, she definitely has always had one foot one foot in grown upness, and the other, you know,
0: playing with dolls. But if she couldn't think you're a total dork because you're a successful writer and a successful uh, woman in business, so um, has 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 she read the novels? I don't know. They might. No. Be. Okay. So.
1: <laughs> she can't read anything I've written until she's 35.
0: Ah, locked in the vault. But not even the YA ones? She can't even read your YA's? I mean, the YA ones feel pretty racist. You know, those
1: were written during the Gossip Girl era. And kind of the directive from the publisher was, let's make a multicultural Gossip Girl. And those books were really, you know, racy.
0: So they're for older teens. Gotcha. So I don't think she's quite ready yet. So how did you... Um, how did you... How did you uh, shift or get your day, day life and your night life as a writer? How did you get published? Did you have contacts through the beauty world that helped you or how did that all come no. about?
1: No, they're two totally different industries. It was, uh, you know, like everyone else, you, you scramble to find an agent, you submit to a zillion people, you know, you finally find your agent, you do three rewrites. Your agent finds you a publisher, then you do three more rewrites, and then it happens. Um, It was harder, you know, back in the early 2000s when I um, published my first novel. It was harder because there were a lot less opportunities for your work to be seen. You know, blogs didn't exist yet. Medium didn't exist yet. People weren't really self-publishing in a way that... I mean, they were, but it was. It they looked. How do I say that? There wasn't an industry um, sort of formed yet that would support self-published novels. Um, it was really, really hard. And unless you had a fantastic graphic designer in your circle, unless you knew um, of a of a great, you know, unless you had a, a discount at a printing press, you know it was hard so you didn't have a lot of opportunities and then as a black author um writing in the genre that i was writing in that i continue to write in it was and still is sometimes a struggle to get the largely white publishing um powers that be to recognize that we're more than symbols of oppression you know to recognize the value in a book like you said that 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 spotlights black joy instead of black pain all the time,
0: so because go, we don't walk so.
1: around bemoaning our existence,
0: you know, <laughs> right? But we, we live. But when you know, every day you walk out of your front door, you're black, and there's you know, and you have to deal with everything that comes along with that. In the beauty industry, I assume that there's been a tremendous shift there too, between you know the white beauty standard and. Um, the changing to allow for so much, so many more different uh, ethnicities, skin colors, beauties, body,
1: type, yeah, bo- body types. Yeah, body types.
0: Yes. Um, so um, there was that, but then also. So when you, since you started writing, like 20 years ago. Now you've got all this massive social media. You have to do Instagram. You have to do do, 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 Twitter. I know. (laughs) So um, you've had a great contrast between what you earlier mentioned as like no social media at all, and now you've got this overwhelming social media. Do you? How do you? How do you feel about the early part and the late part? And how do you handle that? And do you wish it was any different? oh my gosh
1: like you just opened up like how much time do you have
0: we get we got it we got a half an hour so go 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 I'll,
1: i'll make it snappy um massive massive shift and yes i feel it um it's an interesting thing to have the course of your career be during a time of such incredible change Um, my first novel, like I said, no social media, no Goodreads, barely any internet. We'd had email for five years, like it was, you know, you write a book, you hope people like it, you walk away, you know, um, even just the idea of reader reviews on Amazon and Goodreads that, that wasn't a thing. So that constant, um, feedback wasn't available then now you're swimming in feedback for better or worse and depending on how how tough you are it, it can be really terrifying because here's the thing artists no matter what kind of art it is writing painting making music you know that's the thing we're good at everything outside of that which is you know social media we're talking about promotional not all of us have that skill set Just because you're a fabulous singer doesn't mean that you'll know how to curate photographs on Instagram in a way that draws people in. And all of that stuff matters now. When you sell your book to a publisher these days, they wanna know if you already have a platform. And that's going to help dictate whether you get a deal and what the deal is. Um, So now, again, no matter what it is, you're a photographer, you're this, you're that, it's something that you have to think about now and it's a skill set that you have to start developing. Unfortunately, it isn't enough just to be the creative anymore. You have to wear all hats and that's what social media has opened up, you know, uh, for us as an author, you've got to come into it with some sort of social media savvy or you'll slip through the cracks.
0: So Tia, um, that, was, that was quite, quite a, an interesting response from you. Uh, it's funny, I feel like that was maybe pent up for a while and, and you were looking for an opportunity to, to let loose on it. But it's funny because the contrast is so great between no social media and social media. You'd think there would be kind of a, you know, a happy medium, but there certainly doesn't appear to be. And I'm thinking about yeah. all the wonderful authors of our past, and, and them saying, are you kidding? Like, I already wrote the book. I struggled. I that gave light. birth to this book, and now you want me to become a promoter at the same time? You know, I'm not Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus. So I think it's admirable um, that you can do both, but I'm. I'd be with. I would hire somebody seriously because there are people who do this for a living. But then you have yeah. those costs that you have. You would or your publisher has to handle.
1: Yeah. Oh, it would be you as the author, definitely. Um, and then also when you hire someone, it doesn't really feel authentic, and people can tell. And that's the thing about social media. The the readers are so savvy. Um, and the whole point is that you get a real piece of, of that person. So yeah, it, it is something. That was definitely ranty.
0: <laughs> no, but it was ranty <laughs> good. I' n- I haven't asked anybody about that yet. and I don't know why it occurred to me to ask you, but I, maybe because you have um, such enormous experience in in other in the other world and uh, which and beauty seems to be very social media oriented. Too, is, yeah but i'm also thinking of audrey in the book and um you know how 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 in the book there's a lot of you know social media stuff going on um, gets her into trouble <laughs> it, is, it yes absolutely no doubt about it but it seems like there are such minefields uh in social media too i mean one wrong word and you know, there are people who are intentionally horrible, but th- there are people who accidentally <laughs> say something that, um, that they shouldn't have said and have to regret it for the rest of their lives. Um, and we all make mistakes when we're speaking and, and writing. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. You know, blatant racism and blatant hate for people is, is beyond a simple mistake, obviously. So, if you don't mind, what I'd like to do is share with um, the viewers and listeners some of the of what you say in um, Seven Days in June because I was trying, I was struggling with how to describe it. I thought like a bon mot, which is you know French for a quippy saying. There are just things that the characters say and think that are so funny. And, and I, so I'm like, as I'm reading all three of the books, I'm like, how does she integrate this in here? How it, <laughs> does this just pop into her head? So I'm going to read a few of them and then ask you about them. So um, in, in uh, Seven Days in June, again, a lot of, so much of the pleasure of the book is the interplay between the mom and the daughter. So um, Eva says, Audrey, what are you wearing? And Audrey says, this is my upscale sadness outfit. I mean, yikes. That, I, I definitely laughed out loud. And uh, the next one about Audrey is, Audrey had been the dreamiest, most delightful kid, and now she was an eye roll shaped like a human. <laughs> what parent could not relate to that? And yeah. And uh, then, but then um, your, your male character, who um, was really a feminist and a, and a great guy in this book, Shane, he says, girls are given the weight of the world with nowhere to put it down. Honestly, that was like I, I could almost feel myself tearing up because I had never heard it expressed that way. But that's so true. And now just a few more. Um, so uh, this is more about Eva's uh, backstory. She had lived with a former Miss Louisiana, who looked pristine, but who had once dusted their entire apartment with a Neutrogena face wipe. <laughs> I mean, who, which of us haven't dusted our whole apartment with a Neutrogena face yeah. wipe, right? Um, Whatever works. That's right. Any any face wipe in a storm, right? And uh, the <laughs> last the last one is. His appearance suggested that God had struggled to remember what Billy D. Williams looked like in Mahogany and had almost gotten it right. So it, that's another charming thing about your books. You have so many cultural references, but you have a great balance between um, you know, current cultural references and being able to kind of reach back and remind your readers of wonderful things that, that we th- that we used to be all wrapped up in in the past?
1: I have a thing for nostalgia, if you hadn't noticed. (laughs) (laughs) I love pop culture. I've been plugged into it since I was a kid. My parents are massive movie buffs. Um, They showed us everything. And I I just love fun references. And, you know, it's... I always try to remind my daughter that the world didn't begin when she was born. (laughs) Like, there was a whole... You know, 2008, it didn't all start there. So yeah, I like sort of reaching back in that way.
0: That's interesting too, to think more about your daughter because, and I, I mine is older, my daughter is, is 34, but your daughter wow. has never been around when there wasn't a big social media presence. And I, I mean, how are these, how are they all gonna turn out? Are they gonna be- we- at, weird right are they going but are they going to be so much smarter than we were i think they already are but are they going to be like jaded by 16 with all of this and just say okay i'm going to an ashram i've had enough with this i can't handle it anymore
1: that's my worry the the jaded piece of it and also oh this is what scares me the fact that they will have seen and felt and experienced everything by a young age, but it's all virtual. So these aren't their own experiences, you know? Lena, my daughter, is so savvy about the world, because she learns all this stuff on TikTok, but it's other people's stuff. It's not her going out and feeling what it feels like, and, you know, she's so good at sussing out, you know, mean it's cancel culture like that's racism that's you know anti-woman that is you know a gender normative behavior that we shouldn't always feed into like she's quick to to point out all of these things but she hasn't really arrived at these philosophies in an organic way So, you know, who's to say what's organic? I was raised in the 80s, so learning things, you know, on a little phone doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) But, you know, maybe for her generation, that is organic. I'm not sure, especially in the past year when these kids haven't gone anywhere. (laughs) I mean, the only way to learn anything is on on their
0: phone. And I was going to ask you about that. Um, What do you, how are you going to, Well, first of all, I'm gonna ask you about your next novel because in Seven Days in June, there is a kernel of what will be, I think, a fantastic story, a background story of your, not your, the (laughs) Eva's grandma and (laughs) great-grandma in New Orleans, Delphine Mm -hmm. and Clotilde, and that story, are you gonna write that? I hope, I hope, I hope. I would love to. I
1: was I I kind of my plan is to um, see what the reaction is to the book. And if people think that, you know, it's something they would like to read, if I start hearing that, then yeah, because it's all brewing in the back of my mind. And when I wrote, you know, I purposefully wrote that into the book as sort of a conduit into the next one. So we'll see.
0: That's wonderful because And it's
1: something I've always wanted to do. My mother is is Creole from Louisiana, and I have a very, you know, she has a very colorful family history, and I would love to go down there and research it.
0: Well, um, I I will vote so strongly for Please Do That in Your Next Novel. Um, I'm afraid our time is running out, and I will mention to viewers, not listeners, because they won't notice it, but viewers, we did have some sad Skype glitches uh, during the video, but the conversation was flowing so well that Tia and I just agreed to continue on. So if you see screen freezes or anything like that, um, please put up with them because we had such a good discussion that I just didn't want to stop the flow. So uh, Tia, sorry about the Skype things, but I wanted to thank you so much for coming on the show and joining me. Um, and great, great, great hopes for June 1st and the launch of Seven Days in June.
1: Thank you so much. And you are so much fun. This was a great chat. I feel like I've known you for years.
0: Oh, thank <laughs> you. And um, viewers, I just, and listeners, um, I wanted to tell you a little bit about my next guest who will be, uh, this will be the July episode. My next guest is author Kate Washington, who's written a book called Almost Toast, Caregiving and Burnout in America. And it's about uh, taking care of aged parents and becoming an aged parent yourself. I heard her on NPR and uh, had to like, you know, send her an email, a fangirl email, and ask her to come on the show. And she is going to be joining us. So uh, thanks for watching. Sorry about the glitches. And we'll see you next time on Books Too.